is Ronaldo. Oh, my goodness. You don't save those. Out of this world. Messi. 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 From the international stage to right here at home, this is FUVFC, talking all things soccer on WFUV Sports. Thursday, June 23rd is the date. It is FUVFC. We're back from our week hiatus. We're going to be doing episodes every other week to get through this summer. So a whole, not, a whole lot is not happening. Little tongue twister there to start this episode. It's Keenan Troy, it's Michael Hernandez, and it's Nick Guzman. Boys, as I just said, not a whole lot happening. But the one thing about the summer is that when the game isn't being played, everything off the pitch gets eliminated, specifically transfer talks. We had the big signing of Mane to Bayern, officially announced yesterday on Wednesday. Before we get into all of that stuff, got to ask gentlemen, how are we doing? Nick, I saw you last night watching your Red Bulls. Take down my, I guess I'm a fan of NYCFC only through employment, but my NYCFC citizens at Red Bull Arena. We just recapped that for a second video going up on WFUV's YouTube page. So for all of our listeners, be sure to check that out. But Nick, how are you besides relishing in that 3 0 triumph? Well, being at NYCFC through employment is about the same level of fandom that the rest of the fan base has, too. I mean, how big of a fan can you be if the franchise is formed in 2015? How big of an attachment could you possibly have? I don't, I don't know. But I'm doing good. That was an excellent game to go to. Um, very heated. It's red cards, yellow cards, everything you want to have a part of a derby match. It was a small crowd at Red Bull Arena, as it usually is. But it was still loud. It was, I still had a very fun time. Michael? You weren't in attendance with us, but how are you, my man? Uh, yeah, no, I'm, I'm doing great. Um, although I wasn't there, uh, I, I didn't uh, unfortunately watch it. But, yeah, I'm doing all right. Uh, spent a lovely weekend up in Canada, but uh, now I'm back in the good old USA. Well, speaking of Canada, Michael, and your travel back to the U.S., in our week hiatus, the host cities were announced for the 2026 World Cup, which is occurring across all major North American continents, the United States, Mexico, and Canada. We're going to go through the list here for all of our listeners that you know weren't tuned into that announcement last week. In the United States, they've got 11 cities hosting matches. Those include Atlanta, Boston, Dallas, Houston, KC, Los Angeles, Miami, New York, New Jersey area, which means MetLife, Philadelphia, San Francisco, and Seattle. In Mexico, they have Monterey, Guadalajara, and of course, La Azteca in Mexico City. And then in Canada's location, they're doing Vancouver and Toronto. Obviously, some names that we are expecting there in terms of, I think, you know, from Mexico, definitely you're expecting Mexico City, Guadalajara. Monterey kind of surprised me, but they do have the capacity in Monterey to hold a big soccer match. Vancouver and Toronto, obviously Vancouver with BC plays. 
Toronto kind of surprised me because they're going to be playing at BMO Field, I presume, which is max capacity 40,000 fans, which for, you know, an international footballing match of the scale of the World Cup, there are plenty of American stadiums and a couple Mexican stadiums that can hold more than 40,000, sometimes, some of them two times over. But nonetheless, they will be held in presumably BMO Field up in Toronto unless they build a new stadium. Gentlemen, just looking at this list, right, there's, there's ones that we expected, such as MetLife, you would assume was going to get one, Miami, L.A., San Fran at Levi Stadium, or a couple that surprised me. I was shocked, not shocked, but, you know, Philadelphia getting one, especially being so close to New York, New Jersey, Boston as well, and then double dipping in Dallas and Houston. Obviously, Dallas, you have AT&T Stadium, where the Cowboys play, but Houston, I guess I'm going to assume playing at NRG Stadium, home of the Houston Texans. But are there any omissions from this U.S. list that really shock us in terms of a place where we'd expect a World Cup match being, you know, maybe a, a city like Denver, Colorado, which, you know, obviously home to the Colorado Rapids, Stan Kroenke side there, the Glazers involved. So it's really, I don't say perplexing, obviously the list is what it is, but are there any omissions when we look at this map that's really East Coast dominant, two cities in the West, and then West Coast dominant? It seems like Middle America is kind of cut out, especially, you know, when we think of Middle America, when we think of soccer, Ohio has certainly been a favorite site for the U.S. in years past, in Cincinnati most recently, and in Columbus in years gone by. You know, and then where the MLS is expanding, you think you maybe want to see more representation, maybe in like the St. Louis, Nashville area. I think Cincinnati for me would have been a good site. You know, you see BMO Field only has 40,000 capacity. The new Cincinnati FC Stadium holds that. So I think that's the only site I wish was on the list. Maybe Denver, Colorado, just because you think that the altitude could be like a fun little storyline and maybe the U.S., would be adapted to it, and some clubs would, some clubs wouldn't. But at the end of the day, the list is set. I mean, besides the, the states I mentioned, you know, Cincinnati, states, cities, but same thing, Cincinnati in Ohio and then Denver in the heart of Colorado. I think this list is set to host, you know, really big soccer matches. And, you know, we're a long way off from 2026, but at the same time, it is only four years from probably recording this podcast. So, I think that, you know, we look at this list and it's cities that you hope can do their job and host a good World Cup, but at the same time, you got to feel you've been shortchanged if you're any of those cities that missed out. Yeah, I think for me, the biggest omission, and I think it's rightfully so, just because of the situation with the stadium and the city is Washington, D.C. I mean, there's not going to be any games in our nation's capital, which is a little bit shocking to not have games in the capital city, but then you look at the details at FedEx field where the, where the Washington commanders play. And there's been viral videos of railings falling down and just like sewage leaking through the ceiling. And it's a stadium that, you know, Dan Snyder, the, the Washington owner is controversial figure, all kinds of lawsuits. And it's clear that, you know, he hasn't really kept up maintenance of that stadium. And I think if you're, 
going maybe over to a football side, if you're seeing that your owner is not willing to, to keep up with your stadium enough to host the biggest event in the entire world, I don't know what that says about what, how he cares about your franchise. But at the last minute, they tried to um, sort of combine their bid with Baltimore and have the games hosted in Baltimore where the Ravens play at MNT Bank and then just have like a giant fan fest in D.C., and just sort of combine the two so they could still kind of say DC was hosting, even though they weren't really, that didn't work. So I think of all these cities on there, the only one that I really thought wasn't going to get a game was Kansas city, but they seem to just kind of be representing the entire central United States, whether it's the Midwest, whatever you want to call it. It was either going to be KC or Denver or Nashville sort of representing that general area. But I think in terms of soccer culture in the U.S., Kansas City has proven time and time again with Sporting KC and whenever they host national team games that they're they're a a big hub of soccer culture in the United States. And I think it's a good thing that they got a game. Like you said, Keenan, I would maybe like to see Denver just to see what the altitude would have done. I think Nashville also could have been fun. But I think – there's not that many controversial picks. You know, when I myself, like a couple of years ago, I did this, and I was really bored, mapped out which cities I think would do a good job hosting and should host. I think I had most of these, just not Kansas City. But in terms of the Mexico and Canada, I think for Canada, the only two venues is a little disappointing. I think obviously they would have wanted to host in Montreal at the Olympic stadium, but I think just the conclusion was that it's just not in a good enough state to host the world cup and BMO field set to expand to 45,000. That's still small. I think the way this whole bid seems to me is that just like Mexico and Canada really are just along for the ride. Cause I mean, there's no games past the round of 16, I believe that are in the U S or that are in Canada or Mexico, all the, Games past that stage will be in the U.S. The final will be in the U.S. The semifinals will be in the U.S. Just kind of seems like Canada and Mexico are just kind of like here. I don't know how you guys feel about it, but it's it's. I mean, it's evident that the U.S. is carrying this bid. That was always going to be the case. And I think in terms of U.S. host cities, just to wrap it up, D.C. not being there, it's it's not a glaring omission to me just because of just because of the the inner workings of the Washington commanders and how they handle that franchise and how that leaks into how they handle that stadium. They kind of did it to themselves. It's not like they were, they had a shining bid that was, that was looked over. It was, it was, you can't host a world cup game at FedEx field. You just can't. Yeah. I mean, I, I completely agree. Um, I, I kind of was also shocked that DC didn't make it. I mean, just cause it, it's like both of you said, having uh, a world cup without, um, without playing a game in the capital is unthinkable. It's only happened um, only a couple times in, in the history of the World Cup. Uh, Philadelphia was a bit shocking as well, just because, you know, it's not that far of a drive from, from here to Philly. So, you know, it's very northeast heavy, like you said. Um, but, I mean, yeah, apart from that, you know, it's now we know what the cities are. They have four years to get ready because it should be back to its normal summer window. At least I'm praying it is because, you know, that's the way it is right now. Um, yeah, but in less than four years, we'll, we'll see how it is. And I think, you know, obviously 
It should be back in the summer. I don't think Philly football fans would be willing to sacrifice Eagles games at the link um, without some rioting, especially for soccer, of all things. But, you know, four years is – you want to say it's a long time, but I still remember, like, everything about that 2018 World Cup, like it was yesterday, like where I was when I saw Pavard hit that incredible half volley. But, you know, looking at – I still remember 2014. Oh, so do I. So remember that John Brooks winner. Yeah. Um, that Dempsey quick start, the Jermaine Jones hit, the whole nine yards. Rodriguez goal. Come on. I, yeah. I, I, to, I can tell you exactly where I was for that. That was a absolute shot of a goal. The Hamas, all that stuff. So, you know, as we look forward to four years, yeah, it's a little bit down the road. But to Michael's point, you know, they've got four years to get this ready and, you know, get us on the right foot. And, Nick, I, I think your point, too, is that it kind of looks like Mexico and Canada are a little bit along for the ride, just with five host cities between the two of them. You know, you'd imagine they'd probably each host a, maybe round a 16 match, but when it gets to the nitty-gritty, I, I imagine it's going to be condensed into the United States alone. The only thing I want to touch on, is that, you know, before we segue into some transfer stuff is the one concern I have, not real concern, but, you know, the way that this World Cup is so spread out, you'd have to imagine that either groups are going to play all in one location or, you know, the traveling is going to be an entire, you know, construct of its own. Obviously from a national team level, not that bad because you're flying private. So the flight from, you know, Say you've got match week one in Jersey, second match in LA. That flight is bad, but you know, you're flying private. It's probably not the end of the world. But for fans of each team, it's going to be a lot of traveling. You know, you think about for us as Americans, you know, if we wanted to go to every game, it'd be tough. But if you're from, you know, say whoever's there and you decide to make the trip to the United States and you want to get to every match, it's going to be brutal going from, you know, Monterey, Mexico, to wherever the next match is, say, hypothetically, it was in Vancouver. You know, if you're a fan from Bosnia-Herzegovina, that's going to be a, a daunting commute through essentially three countries and half the continent in order to make it to World Cup matches. But such is the nature, I think, you know, we can all say that the United States was due for a World Cup. It should certainly help domestic soccer here, but also hopefully as we talk all things U.S. men's national team on this podcast, it should be a, the World Cup that everything since that 2018 collapse is building towards in terms of you're the host country. you got to put on a strong showing. So I'm really looking forward to it. It was nice to have those countries set in place because now I can kind of coordinate where I'm going to live as an adult in 2026 around what will be the most economically safe option and eco-friendly option if I elect to drive. I'm always thinking about the environment on this podcast. Transferring into the transfer news of the big European leagues. Yesterday, obviously, the move was made official. Sadio Mane going from Liverpool, much to probably Michael's dismay. I thought it's an okay move. I think his time with the club has started to elapse. I think he's still the best, one of the best players in the world. Definitely in my opinion, was better than Salah, at least the past couple of seasons in terms of what he could do on the pitch. But nonetheless, he moves to Bayern Munich in the Bundesliga. 
Michael, we're going to cut Nick out of this conversation because he's going to have all the time to talk about Chelsea in just a few minutes. Liverpool moving on from Mane, obviously bringing in Nunez from Benfica, who played really well against them. He's coming in at a price tag of $75 million. With Mane on the move, Liverpool fans obviously hurt, not because of his footballing talent, obviously, but because also he's an incredible humanitarian. But what do you make of the Mane move, especially on the backdrop that, you know, City is only getting stronger and it's apparent that with Mane leaving Liverpool, they have to be getting weaker by some, by no matter the range. Yeah, I mean, obviously, uh, from that point of view, uh, it, it's 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 very sad. Um, but also, when you look at you know with Liverpool bringing in Nunez, you know Klopp is known to develop them even further. So you know, I forget how many goals Nunez got, but you know, I'm I'm sure that you know, I'm not gonna say he's hitting the ground running, but you know, Klopp will develop him into what uh, and what we need. Um, Liverpool also got uh, Carvalho from Fulham, if I'm not mistaken. Uh, even though that was from the winter, but now it officially happened. And also Ramsey from Aberdeen. But, I mean, yeah, losing Mane, losing one of the best players in the world is is a bit of a hit. Um, but, you know, I, I thought that the transfer itself, like, was was respectful. You know, he, he didn't want to make any comments until after the, uh, the Champions League final. Uh, and then once that was done, then, you know, he was respectful. So, you know, and honestly, I can't, I can't blame him. Uh, Mane has a deal until 2025, right, with Bayern. So, um, you know, he obviously got the terms that he wanted, but, um, you know, in his post, you know, uh, and from how I feel, you know, I, I feel like it was a mutual uh, disagreement. But going back to the more, I guess, footballing aspect, uh, you know, it, it, it's going to be, um, you know, our team has definitely lost one of its core members. But, you know, we still have Salah, we still have Firmino. Uh, Diaz, you know, has been proven to be a, a good pickup from the winner. So, we're, uh, you know, all eyes are going to be on him to see if he can pick up some of the Mane um, workload or, or even Nunez because Ma- uh, Mane was playing as a striker sometimes. Um, so, you know, Nunez can be seen as that replacement. But um, we're just going to have to wait and see uh, how it happens uh, at the start of the next Premier League. Nick, I'll throw it to you because you're a Chelsea supporter in Chelsea. This season was, dare I say, leaps and bounds behind, you know, Liverpool and City, which went to the final day to decide the Premier League title. You know, does this move of Mane leaving Liverpool, yeah, you get Nunez in, but he's still, you know, we, we've seen it with the exception of Diaz that sometimes it takes, you know, a little bit to get into the Premier League, into Klopp's system. I'm just wondering, you know, from an outsider's perspective, from a Chelsea perspective, you know, I hate to keep bashing the club here, but, you know, from the perspective of guys on the outside that whose titles aspirations ended probably in, you know, the first half of the Premier League campaign, does this create more parity for the league in terms of, you know, instead of two Titans, there's now one? Or does it, you know, allow City just to, you know, if we're going to assume that Holland, Holland hits the ground running, stays fit, and Pep is able to continue producing masterclass after masterclass, does this hurt the league? Because now one side is just completely on paper, leaps and bounds better than everyone else. I don't think this is the move that necessarily 
says that that makes Man City leaps and bounds above. I mean, I think Jurgen Klopp has proved time and time again that, with the exception of Naby Keita, he knows what he's doing in the transfer window. He knows what kind of players to bring in and, and that will fit his system. I think Darwin Nunez is an exceptional player, and I think he'll – maybe if there's a bit of a slow start, he'll pick it up. But the, the thing is with his Liverpool side is even if Nunez is off to a bit of a slow start, you still have, you still have Diaz, you still have Salah, you still have Jota. You still have Firmino up there to pick up the slack while he rounds into form. I don't think this move necessarily signals that City are going to just dominate again and again. Of course, they're going to be up there and probably win the league next year with the addition of Erling Holland. But I think replacing a 30-year-old winger who is a world-class player and one of the best players in the world, I think replacing him with someone so young and with so much potential like Darwin Nunez, it's not really a bad thing. I think maybe maybe him leaving is a, a year or two early before Liverpool wanted because we haven't actually seen him really decline yet at Liverpool. Maybe you wait until that happens and then, and then he moves on, but it's clear that he wanted this move now. But I think it's something that was bound to happen. You have, I mean, this Liverpool team, I mean, the attack with Salah and Mane are aging a little bit. So you've, so you felt like maybe not this summer, but in the coming summers that they were going to have to move on and go younger, which we saw they did with Diaz. They've done with Nunez to try and just keep the machine rolling. But, you know, with, with I think it just happened maybe a summer earlier or two than Liverpool fans would have liked with Monty moving to Bayern. But as a Chelsea fan, it, I, don't, I don't think it really changes that much. I think Liverpool would just retool and be back sort of towards the, the, the peaks that they were at previously. With Monty moving to Bayern Munich, Obviously, that creates some more uncertainty around Robert Lewandowski, who has been that club's staple since he left Dortmund all those years ago. You know, you think about him setting records for, you know, fastest hat trick, first to five goals, all that stuff. Does this move of Mane to Dortmund create, Dortmund, excuse me, Bayern Munich, create more uncertainty in Robert Lewandowski's future in Munich? solely because it seems that they – I don't say they continue to try and oust him, but when you look on paper and you look down that depth chart about how many attacking options they have going forward, Lewandowski's been able to prove time and time again that he's going to still be that number nine. But it seems that, you know, as good as Bayern has been, obviously winning the Bundesliga about every year for the past – for pretty much all of Lewandowski's tenure – all except one year, you know, obviously their goals are to win probably more European titles. I, I just wonder with all these transfers recently, you think, you know, Leroy Sané coming in, Kingsley Coleman still being absolutely world-class on the wing, and now the addition of Sadio Mane, does this move hurt Bayern's chance to continue to hold on to Lewandowski? And could you guys see him making a move? If not this summer, then definitely next summer. I think he's made really clear he doesn't really want to be there anymore. And, you know, Barcelona is what everybody's saying. Um, I'm not sure if this move necessarily is what pressures him out the door. I think it's more that he is 33 and he wants to leave. And he 
has given so much to the club. I mean, they've won champion, they've won a Champions League, they've won you know countless Bundesliga titles. If you just look at his goals to game ratio, it's outrageous. I think if a player has served you for this long and has scored this many goals and has been the catalyst, I can understand why you don't want him to leave. But I also think there should be a level of respect between you know player and club where if if you've given your all and you've been a world-class player at this club you've been the best you've been robbed of a ballon d'or you should have there's so many things that you've done for this club to make them successful i think if you want to leave the club probably has somewhat of a duty to respect your wishes even if it hurts them you know from a footballing perspective just because when you think about the relationship the other way if robert Lewandowski all of a sudden came out next season scored five goals which wasn't going to happen you know the next season Byron would immediately be looking for a replacement and immediately be looking for a, a striker of the future, which, you know, they probably already are doing now considering he's 33 and is bound to decline at some point. It's clear that Byron don't want to let him go and that Lewandowski wants to go. I, I, I have a, a weird feeling that he might end up staying, but it, it seems like he really doesn't want to be there. And, you know, at some point I don't, he seems like a, you know, he, everything that you hear about Rob Lewandowski is he's, he's a classy dude. He's not really looking to cause that much drama, although that's kind of what he's doing now. But if he stays, you, you kind of assume that he'll just operate under business as usual. But I think for Bayern, clinging on to, yes, a world-class striker who, who's kind of aging a little bit, it should be, it's clear why they want to hold on to him just because who wouldn't want to hold on to Robert Lewandowski. But I think sort of a similar as Liverpool sort of understood with Mane, I think you got to kind of keep the wheels churning and that if someone, even if he's a star, even if he's one of your biggest stars wants to move, I think it's easiest just for the club, especially when you have the resources, the Bayern Munich does to just kind of let it happen. If the right, of course the right offer has to come in. You can't let him walk away for pennies, but it's, I think if they if they if the right offer comes in and they let him move, I think Bayern again, sort of similar to Liverpool, the wheels will just keep churning and they'll 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 find a way to replace him. Even though he seems like an irreplaceable player, I think Bayern will find a way. Yeah, I mean, of, of course, um, but I mean, you know, obviously, it's like you said, Bayern want to keep him, but at some point, you know, he he doesn't want to be there. That will somehow affect the morale of the team, and that could affect the team's performance. So there will be a point where I think they just have to, you know, because if if he's so hard set on a move, then then he, you know, then they're going to have to let him move. Um, maybe it won't be this window, maybe in the winter, but I will be shocked if this time next year, I mean, I actually technically at this point he'll be a free agent, but um, if he's still with Bayern Munich at the end of the uh at the end of next season, just because, you know, he's, he's publicly stated several times that he wants to leave, you know, um, and, and now, you know, obviously Bayern Munich want the, you know, they want as much money as they can, but at some point I think they're just going to have to, you know, accept a deal because if he wants to go, then, you know, he wants to go that that's kind of the way it is uh, with, uh, with transfers. We will have to see on Lewandowski's future, but there are plenty of moves being made throughout this Transfer window, you know, obviously most of them are set to officially be inked July 1st. 
you know, just going through some MLS one, obviously Hector Herrera, the Mexican national team member, finally coming back to the North American continent. He's on the move from Atletico Madrid to Houston Dynamos. Giorgio Chiellini also inked a deal to LAFC and Matt Turner giving back to England and Europe, leaving the revolution at the start of next month, beginning his time at Arsenal. Other notable transfers, if we want to say notable, Antonio Rudiger, Nick, leaving your beloved club Chelsea to go play for a legitimate European powerhouse in the form of Real Madrid. There was a backhanded compliment there if you caught it. Cameron Carter-Vickers, a U.S. men's national team member. He's on the move from Spurs to Celtic. Other news, too, you know, you can go up and down this list. There's none that really, really catch the eye in terms of, wow, this is like a groundbreaking move. But the transfer window is still young. We see a ton of speculation throughout the summer. So to conclude, boys, I'm just wondering, are there any moves out there? You know, obviously we're not saying Messi to enter Miami or Ronaldo to Chicago Fire FC, but legitimate moves that we either want the clubs we support to make. So if that's the Raheem Sterling diving queen to Chelsea that Nick craves to add to a, a, a potent, in quotes, offensive attack that they have there, what do they have? A rotation of seven, six, five men going forward, you know, four of whom can't find the back of the net. Um, or if you're, you know, in the case of Chelsea, looking to shore up that defense now that Rudiger is officially gone. I'll open with you, Nick. I've been bashing Chelsea for so long that I feel like you should give us some words of wisdom as to how they should look to regain relevancy in this transfer window. Yeah, it's an interesting time for Chelsea with the new owners. Todd Bowley seems to be taking over. It looks like, you know, Marina, who was, who was running the club for a while, is going to be on the way out. Same thing with Bruce Buck. So it's going to be new leadership who's making the transfers. A player like Raheem Sterling, I think he's better than a lot of people give him credit for. But to me, he's just the same type of player that Chelsea have right now, maybe a little bit better. But in terms of the finishing, the goals, maybe they're there, but like he's not an elite finisher. I think the reason why his goal tally was so high at Man City's tap-ins, maybe that's a little, maybe that's a little harsh. But yeah. you know, a back post ball from Kevin De Bruyne and he can just tap it in. I think at Chelsea, people were saying this last year, they need a, a deadly goal scorer, someone who can just just score at will. And we thought that was Romelu Lukaku. Evidently was not. He seems to be back on his way to Inter Milan on loan. Which Incredible is, piece of business there, I have to say. You spend, what, 80 mil for him, and then you loan him out for eight? That is incredible transfer business. It's, it's, it's so – it's really – it's revolutionary. That's what it is. You yeah. sign a player for – hundred million and you get one year of not really any production out of him. He gives an interview like three months in saying, I don't really want to be here. And you're like, well, okay, like you're here now. Like, what are we, what are we supposed to do? And now he's gone. So I think of all the realistic moves to Chelsea, you know, 
Usman Dembele, they're linked to, but it seems like he wants to stay at Barca. And then the injury proneness, that's just, it. it's another thing that, like, sure, on his day, he's so talented. We saw his assist numbers this year in the league were outrageous. But who knows if he's going to stay healthy and on the field. Players like Rafinha from Leeds are linked to Chelsea. Again, it's the same type of player. And if you're going to be playing in Thomas Tuchel's system, it, it just seems like more of the same, in my opinion. I think a good defender is definitely needed with Antonio Rudiker on the, on the move. Maybe Matisse Delict is a player that I would want to see come in. But of all those attackers, I think I would prefer Sterling the most because he seems like he's going to be fairly cheap. Like $60 million in this market for a player like Sterling is reasonable, I think. But I'm not really wowed by any of these um, – names that have been thrown into the mix but and especially with sort of the 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 shift in who's going to be making the transfers and who's going to be in charge of running things i I don't know what to think jules kunde is another player who we who we were linked to last summer i'd like to see him brought in a young center back from sevilla who's very talented i just i'm a little bit worried but things will work themselves out it's gonna be fine Oh, before we talk about Liverpool, I, I want to name one more player. Has it, There hasn't been a single story, but hypothetically, would you take him? Robert Lewandowski. Because, you know, yes, in a heartbeat. In a heartbeat. You, I don't know any club who wouldn't. Okay, I, 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 I'm just double-checking. And how much do you think he's worth? Obviously, we don't know. But, like, if you're paying 60 mil for, for Raheem Sterling, I mean, surely that that's paying way too much. I'd rather pay 60 for Ramovich money just lingering around. Maybe he, you know, has a car wash or, you know, a nail salon that he's been laundering it through in Chelsea, London, that the club can just sink their teeth into and go out and make a splash signing on Lewandowski. But I actually get that reference. I, yeah. I, I think I actually get it. And I'm proud of myself for knowing that because I've never seen the show at all. I, I think I've seen clips on YouTube, so that, that, that's all I know that from. Um, but um, what were they talking? Oh, about uh, about Lua. Would you? Um, I feel like there was one more player that, that Chelsea fans want, but I'm not. Sh- um, Rice. Declan uh, Rice is the age-old link. Is there anything? Are there any more updates? As a Chelsea fan, do you know? I think it's the same as it's usually been. Like West Ham won a huge sum of money. I, I remember. Like, yeah. I mean, I think Declan Rice is a very, very good player, but um, I don't know. For, for the numbers they seem to be asking for, I'm not sure if that's if it's worth it. Triple digits in the millions. Yeah, I, I think Moyes wanted uh, – he said it earlier or something around around the lines of, oh, we had an offer for 100 or something, but now it's – like we want more than 100, which I think is way too much for any player in the world. But that's where we are. You know, after Neymar decided to shatter the records, it's just – you know, sky's the limit. Um, but enough about a bad team. Let's talk about a team that actually won a few trophies. Uh, um, as for Liverpool, uh, I mean, we've already made a couple of signings. Um, everyone's saying that we need we need a midfielder, but according to reports, it, they're kind of contradicting, you know, oh, Liverpool will go for one more player, one more midfielder. Some other sources are saying, nah, we're, they're going to wait for Bellingham for the next year. Um, I honestly don't know what to think about it. I mean, uh, if we could get a midfielder, go for it, but don't go for a stopgap, you know, just for a year. 
just because I don't think that would work. Um, I, I saw one article about Christian Erickson, but that would that would essentially be a stopgap just for one year. I mean, sure, I, I'd love to see Erickson play, but I mean, if, if for the sole purpose of, of getting a player just for the one year, I don't think that fits with Liverpool's philosophy, with, with Klopp's vision of the club. Um, so it's going to be interesting to see what they do. But going back to the main part of this segment of one player um, – now, uh, Akina, does this have to be for Liverpool or just one transfer? Any, any, any club that we want to see making okay. the Um, I was thinking about this when you mentioned it, but uh, I'm currently looking up uh, good old Fabrizio Romano to see if there are any speculations. Um, I honestly can't think of a single one that, like, that like hasn't had a story. I mean, uh, we all know that, or maybe this won't happen, but Pogba is definitely going to go to Juve. I just find that funny because, you know, the whole saga with, with United – uh, he he leaves United to go on a free. United buy him back for what was then, I think, the most amount of money, and then he goes back to Juve on another free. I, I just find that uh, completely hilarious. Um, but I think that's the only transfer that I think is going to happen that hasn't been announced yet. Um, also for United, Dean Henderson might go out to Nottingham Forest. Think that may be an obligation to buy, but right now it, it's loans. Um, but yeah, I mean those those transfers um, might happen or may not happen. But going back to Liverpool, uh, so far we've made three. Um, but yeah, I, I if we get a midfielder, I, I'd like it to be not just like a one year solution while we wait for Bellingham because that would be a complete waste of of the, of, of the club's money. But we'll just have to wait and see if uh, if Klopp and the new head of um, Transfers, I forget his name. I think it's Julian Ward or something like that. Um, and, and we'll just have to wait to see if he can uh, if he can pull something off. But in the meantime, I'm happy with our signings. One person I was eyeballing for Liverpool was Nkunku from Red Bull. I like, think he signed a contract extension. Yeah, he signed a contract extension yesterday. But he was a guy that I looked at that would be seemingly a long-term fit that could slide relatively easier into – a Klopp system, you know, very defensive-minded. That extension's only through 2024, though, so his name was certain to resurface when that's up, and, you know, maybe his price tag will rise additionally, you know, with two more years under his belt playing at a top level. But that was a transfer I was eyeballing. Mike, you got something? Yeah, the, I remember before – obviously, um, it, it's not happening anymore, but um, uh, I forget how to pronounce his name, but Madrid signed him. Uh, the 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 young midfielder begins with a T. To at to Chiemi. Yeah, that. Yeah. Thank you. Um, That's I, not it, it, but... It's it's something along those lines. Um, Liverpool were you know in the in talks to get him, but then I guess once Madrid realized that Mbappe was was staying, they they decided to use their money elsewhere. And and you have to say Madrid's window so far has been has been good because not only do they get that midfielder, it's a long-term contract as well. So like now their midfield is, is even better than before. You still have the core three, then you have um, a Camavinga on the bench, Valverde and the same exact player who I can't pronounce. Um, and then they also get Rudiger on a free. Um, so incredible pieces of business by them. Um, and even though they're losing, you know, a couple of key players, or I guess a couple of old players, uh, Bale, Marcelo, Isco, um, it's going to be interesting to see how they do in the Liga. Um, but yeah, so 
uh, it's you know well done on uh, on on the uh, head of of Madrid. I I don't even know his title, but Perez on um on doing a couple of good business deals, and um, we'll have to see what they do as well next year. That will do it for this episode. Great stuff, guys. Always a pleasure to hop on, especially you know when we take these weeks off. It's nice being able to have sus substance within these podcasts, and especially you know when we talk all things transfers. There's so much happening, so much still up in the air that, you know, hopefully the next time we hop on, we'll have some definite resolutions on some of these hypotheses. Hypotheses, I guess would be the plural. Will Nick be satisfied with how Chelsea moves? Probably not. Will Keenan and Michael enjoy the way in which Liverpool conducts himself the rest of this window? Depends if they're going to spend money or not. Regardless of that, We'll be back in two weeks to break down everything that soccer has to offer. You know, it is slow, but looking at the calendar, that will probably be the week before the tune-up of NYCFC versus NY Red Bulls, which, Michael, maybe you won't be on the podcast because we know you don't like MLS, and we can always get James Burley on here because if one thing ranks true, Nick, especially live-tweeting last night's game, James Burley is the most dedicated New York Red Bulls fan I know. Man loves Aaron Long. He loves him like he's God. That being said, we will see you guys in a couple of weeks. For Nick Guzman, Michael Hernandez, I'm Keenan Troy saying take care. This has been another installment of FUVFC, courtesy of WFUVFC.